Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're in a series just started on the letter to the Hebrews, or the sermon to the Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a sermon. And so this month, we have a memorization project here as a congregation. This month, we're going to memorize Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, like we did Psalm 23 earlier this year. And so today, I'd like for us to start by just internalizing and memorizing Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and part of verse 2. And I'll tell you, after we've done this little group activity, I'll tell you why this is so important, all right? So let's just say this together as a congregation. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Again, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. It kind of flows nicely, doesn't it? Like a little river. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You got that down pretty good, don't you? Let's take a few words away. All right, here we go. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We need to take away a few more words, all right? You're doing great. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us by our father. Excuse me. All right, we're just a bunch of sinners here. <laughs> and the pastor is the chief sinner. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. All right, take those words away. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Wow! God be praised! you got Hebrews 1, verse 1, and part of verse 2 down. Okay? Well done. God be praised. Now, why do we spend some time internalizing and memorizing God's Word? We do that 
Well, the scripture says, Paul says, to set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I don't know about you, but my mind tends to wander throughout the day. It gets untethered, and it goes all over the board. And my desires for God go up and down throughout the day. Why my desires for God, why at 7 a.m. are different than my desires at 11 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 5 p.m. My desires go up and down. I need a rope. I need a tether. So the Word of God internalized in my heart and my life keep me tethered. So that's why we say long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. So you see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And what these verses that we've just memorized tell us is that we are, it's not enough for you to invite God into your story. What we're memorizing here is the fact that God has a story, a grand story, a great story of redemption and salvation that started long ago and then goes to, to these last days. These last days. These last days mean that there's another event that's going to take place in salvation history called the day, the day when King Jesus will appear. And one of these days, God's going to get up from the chair in the sitting room of heaven and he's going to turn off the TV. And when he turns off the TV, his dominant reality will take over. And we're a part of that, you see. We're a part of his life, his story, what he is doing in this world today. And I need God's word to keep me tethered to that thought. And at the center of it all is the Son, Jesus Christ, who is why we are here today, who has brought us together from all of our different spaces, Jesus has brought us together. And Hebrews, the sermon to the Hebrews, teaches us that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's the, that's the sermon in a sentence throughout the whole book of Hebrews. Why, in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, we learn that Jesus is better than the angels. In Hebrews chapter 3, we learn that Jesus is better than Moses. In chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is better than Joshua and the land of promise. In chapters 5 through 7, we learn that Jesus is better than this mysterious priest Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14 who blessed Abraham. What a mysterious person Melchizedek is. We're going to learn about him in Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is better than him, though. Don't forget that. And, and then Jesus is better than the entire temple tabernacle system. I mean, whoa, those are fighting words in the first century. 
when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is better than the, the temple in Jerusalem, the tabernacle system. He's better than that. And then Hebrews 11, excuse me, uh, 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 11 through 13, Jesus is a, has a, offers is a better way of life. Now that's the sermon to the Hebrews right there. See, that's the outline. Jesus is better. And we just started that sermon last Sunday. So if you're feeling new, this is a good time for you to be here. Because we're learning uh, that Jesus, Jesus is better. Now in our verses today, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. And it's going to complete this this very first chapter of this sermon. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. I don't have these verses up on the screen, but you can just listen to them. Listen to them if, uh, if, if you would like, or open your Bibles, Hebrews 1. We have church Bibles here, and uh, you can find that on one, 1001. For to which of the angels, remember, this is the theme on Jesus is better than the angels, okay? So we're going to be talking about angels today. For, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him of the angels he says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire but of the sun he says listen up your throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they, that is the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. This is God's word. Now, I want to put a tag on our message today. And I want to title this, Jesus is no angel. And that's a good thing. All right? That's where we're going today. What I want to do here briefly is I want us to, I want to first of all just explain what these verses mean. I want to explain what these verses mean. And then secondly, I want, to, uh, I, want to, I want us to understand why 
the Christian Hebrew, the Hebrew Christians 2,000 years ago needed to hear these verses. And then thirdly, I want to, I want to preach. <laughs> I, I, want to, I want us to grasp why we need to hear them. So that's where we're going this morning. What do these verses say? Why did they need them? And why do we need them? That's where we're going. Well, the first question is, what do these verses say? Here it is. In a sentence, verses 5 through 14, the verses that I just read, verses 5 through 14 are an elaboration or an expansion on verses 1 through 4. I'll say that again. Verses 5 through 14 are an elaboration on verses 1 through 4. You say, why would there need to be an elaboration? Because he's a preacher. He's preaching. And, and we're, re having, we're having to reiterate this. The audience, they didn't have the sermon manuscript back then, so they're listening audibly to the message, and so there needs to be restatement. There needs to be an elaboration. There needs to be an explanation. In verses 1 through 4, we learned that Jesus is better because of his eternal existence as creator, his incarnation as purifier, and his exaltation as heir. What I'm saying is that Christianity is J-shaped. J-shaped. That is to say, Christianity did not start in Bethlehem. Rather, Christianity began in the heavenly realm where the Son existed eternally and then descended into greatness through His incarnation, His life, death, burial, and then exalted resurrection. You see the, the J shape there? The divine Son who has eternally existed, sweeps down from the heights of heaven into the earthly realm, having been clothed with flesh at the incarnation, having suffered and died on the cross, God then exalted His Son with a name that is above every name. Well, you can just read that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Christianity starts in heaven, takes a deep dive to earth, and then ascends back to heaven. The eternally existent Christ as creator, incarnate as purifier, exalted as heir. That's what we learned in verses 1 through 4. That's what we see. We see a summary of Christianity in verses 1 through 4. Well, verses 5 through 14 just develops that. And so the preacher is using this rhetoric of review. And what happens is, and this is wonderful, verses 5 through 14 bundles, bundles seven passages from the Old Testament, which is what we read in our scripture reading, seven passages from the Old Testament to elaborate on these three stages or these three emphasis you see some of the in the house church in uh 2000 years ago possibly rome some are doubting the truth of christianity so the preacher uses the very truth source which these folks value most the old testament to to make the preacher's point 
So in verse 5, in verse 5, we see repeated the theme of exaltation. Exaltation. Verse 5, God says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That is a reference to Christ's resurrection and exaltation. It's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. And the apostle Paul cites Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, in reference to Christ's resurrection when Paul preaches in Acts chapter 13, 33. Acts chapter 13, 33. Acts 13, 33, Paul says, This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, and here it is, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So that's a reference to Christ's exaltation. And then this phrase, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, is also a reference to the resurrection and exaltation. That's from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. It applies to Jesus' resurrection as well. Jesus was always the eternal son, but in his resurrection and exaltation, Paul says he was declared with power to be the son of God by his bodily resurrection. So, so verse 5 speaks of the exaltation, repeating what we heard in verses 1 through 4, and then there's the incarnation. Where's that? Look at verse 6. When he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I read that and I can't help but think about Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those whom he is pleased. That's the incarnation. That's the, when Christ was born in Bethlehem. Exaltation, resurrection, incarnation, and then eternal existence. Eternal existence. That's verses 7 through 12. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. You are the same, and your years will have no end. You know, we live in an unstable world. Markets gyrate. Nations are at war. Uncertainties abound. But we worship the God, Jesus Christ, who remains. They will perish, but you remain. You are the same. Your years will have no end. Eternal existence, incarnation, exaltation, verses 1 through 4. Exaltation, incarnation, eternal existence, verses 5 through 12. It's like a pendulum sweeping back and forth and back and forth. And it, so, so A to Z, Z to A. No matter, no matter how you want to swing it, Jesus is God. 
Amen. Do you know who you're dealing with here? Do you realize who we're worshiping each Sunday? Do you, do you know why we can say, you have led me through the fire? See? Well, Hebrews 1 tells us, we worship the Jesus, get this, who in verses 1 through 4 is clothed in seven identities. Seven identities. Son, heir, creator, sustainer, radiance, exact imprint, purifier. Seven. Seven identities. Listen. In the Hebrew mindset, seven was a number for completion. See? So he's the, he's the, he's the complete package. All right? And then in verses 5 through 14, how many Old Testament passages? Seven. Seven. That, that, that's not by accident. There's intentionality here. The very Hebrew scriptures, the God who long ago spoke to our fathers by the prophets, in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. Eternal existence incarnation, exaltation. Any way you swing it, Jesus is God. That's what these verses mean. That's what they're saying. That's question number one. Why, though? Why, why do these verses matter? I mean, why does the preacher spend so much energy, and he's going to talk about this even in chapter 2, why does he spend so much energy in asserting Christ's superiority over the angels? Huh? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's start with the, belie let's start with the believers then and there. See, there, there's good reason to think that the church who first heard these words, that the, the church struggled with angel worship. Kind of like the believers in Colossae Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians 2, 18. There, there was a struggle with angel worship. And, and, and why? What's, why? Why that? We, we think about that 2,000 years from now and say, that's just really odd. You know, that, 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 those, oh, why, why is that? Well, well, here. Let's remember their situation. This church is suffering. They're becoming weary. They're getting tired. And then they're tired of feeling tired. And all they can feel is the exhaustion. And all, that, all they could see was trouble. And they're trying to hang on to something. They're looking for inspiration. They need some inspiration. And, and frankly, how inspiring is a peasant rabbi hanging on a Roman cross? How's that image supposed to get me through the day? I got enough on my plate than to contemplate a crucified Messiah. He didn't seem to be able to save himself, much less anybody else. Sharing in our suffering is not the same as transforming it. You know, the problem with Jesus, he's just too, too human, too common, too vulnerable. And keep in mind, they're in the capital of the superpower. They're Rome. They're in Rome. Oh my goodness, there's these magnificent temple palaces, and there they're huddled up in a house church. Angels, on the other hand, oh, they're fierce and mighty. 
like that angel that overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah? Or what about the angels in Isaiah 6? Or what about the angels in Ezekiel 1? Their angels are fiery and terrible and magnificent and intimidating. I mean, whenever an angel encounters a human, what is the angel's first words? Fear not. That's the first word. What's the human's first words? Ah! That's human's first words. So assuming that this church was in Rome, I mean, these believers are huddled in a house, maybe a network of house churches, and they don't have the magnificence and the splendor of these pagan temple palaces of Roman emperor worship. And they're feeling, they're, the Christians are feeling hunger pangs for awe. They're craving wonderment, and they're looking for some messianic substitutes. Question, question. Where do you seek to satisfy your craving for awe? And how do you preach to that concern? Well, this preacher does not pretend that the experiences that they are feeling are, are, you know, are not painful. This preacher doesn't pat them on the back and say, there, there, things aren't that bad. This preacher doesn't do that. Nor does this preacher dispense superficial self-help advice like, well, let's look on the bright side, everyone. Come on, put on a happy face, be positive. Let's go to Positiveville. Let's get out of Negativeville. Come on. The, the preacher knows that their suffering is real. The pressure is not going to go away. But neither will the gospel. You are the same. Your years will have no end. So the preacher just doubles down on the truth. And Hebrews chapter 1 is the truth of the gospel that lies beyond sight and touch. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And the preacher asserts that the deepest, most trusted truth cannot be seen by the naked eye. It is truth to be heard and received by the heart. Notice in verses 5 through 13, each of these Old Testament passages are introduced by the word, you know, God says, or did God ever say. Sometimes a reference from the Old Testament is spoken of, is, it comes across as, it is written, as it is written of old. Not here. It's intentionally the verb, God says, and God has spoken. God has spoken of the eternally existent Son who in the incarnation put on flesh and was broken, shamed, and defeated by the powers of this world, but then by the power of Almighty God was resurrected in exaltation. Eternal existence, incarnation, exaltation. So, so that's why in Hebrews chapter 2, and you can see it if you're on the church Bible, it's right on the same page. Go over to the second column, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Would you please remember that when you read the newspaper tomorrow? Hmm. Your tangible experience, your suffering, your hurt, your pain are not the whole story. They're not the whole story. 
And you may be impressed by angels, but Jesus is no angel. You see, angels can speak for God, but Jesus spoke as God. Angels are God's servants, but Christ is God's Son. Angels are part of the created order, but the Son is the creator of that order. Angels receive God's commands, but the Son inherits God's throne. So to mistake Christ for an angel is to mistake the message for the messenger, the word for those who bear it. That phrase in verse 5 and also repeated in verse 13, so it's like brackets there, to which of the angels did God ever say is a question which can only be answered by the phrase, none. God has, God has never said to an angel, you are my son and I'm your father. Never. God has never said to an angel, oh, come up here, sit at my right hand while I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Never. never. In other words, you need more than an angel to get you through your trial. You need the eternally existent, incarnate, and exalted Son of God. It, it seems as if these exhausted house churches were looking for a gospel without a cross, redemption without sacrifice, faith without pain. They wanted something sterile and pristine, something that doesn't exhaust the faithful, that, something that doesn't challenge us to put one foot in front of the other in daily obedience. They were searching for a tranquil image of God in an unspoiled heaven surrounded by lovely angels singing untroubled hymns. Give me anything but a weeping, suffering, bleeding Jesus. But this preacher loves that church too much to withhold the truth. And this preacher will not compromise on the gospel. This preacher will not reduce it to the power of positive thinking. This preacher starts the sermon in heaven with the glorious God who left his heavenly starting point and plunged deeply into the depths of human sin, yet he himself was, out, was without sin. And for a little while, he was made lower than the angels. He suffered a humiliating death at the hands of evil on a Roman cross, and this eternally existent son put on flesh, died, but God the Father raised his son for our salvation. And Jesus' bodily resurrection vindicated his claims to be the eternally existent, incarnate, and exalted king. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame. Now you tell me, can anybody tell me what's more impressive than that? What do your admirations say about your heart condition? What do your admiration say about your heart condition? And that leads me to question number three. Time for some preaching, preaching. Someone might say, we, I, don't have, I don't have a problem with angels. I don't have, I don't have issues with angels. <laughs> well, we may not the same way they did. But believe you me, we have our angels. We've, we've created them. We've created them. We, we create celebrity angels, entertainment angels, athlete angels, finance angels, 
social media angels, business guru angels, beauty or aesthetic angels, political angels? No, not in America. (laughs) And yes, pastor angels. And we idolize them. We stand in awe of them. We make them bigger than they really are. Our culture craves celebrity. Read a penetrating book uh, over study break uh, by Caitlin Beatty called Celebrities for Jesus. How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets are Hurting the Church. (laughs) Celebrities for Jesus. It's not a compliment. She defines celebrity as social power without proximity. In other words, celebrity is one who exercises social power over people who are distant from him or her. So someone I personally don't know has influence over my life, and that person doesn't even know me. Caitlin says, the right kind of fame arises from a life well-lived, not a brand well-cultivated. She says, we feed celebrity by turning to famous people to meet our own social and emotional needs. And the point she makes is that celebrities would not exist without us. You know, they depend upon our attention and adoration. And so we, we look to them to model who we want to become. And so being around them then makes us feel special and important. And we feed their egos and they feed ours. And, and, so, and so on celebrity pastors, when a celebrity pastor invites us to join their mission and changing the world for Jesus, we get excited that we've been selected for greatness. That they fulfill what we've wanted to become, really important people for Jesus. And one psychiatrist put it this way, people around the top leader get refracted light from the central celebrity. So so in in other words, the professional and brand affiliation with the celebrity makes other people in the inner circle celebrities too, or makes them feel like they are, which then, of course, makes them kind of judgy over those who are not in the circle. You see how it works? And the point of this is that the object of your admiration is never value neutral. When you admire someone, when you hold them up, when you esteem them, when you sit in the shadow of celebrity worship, you are giving that person permission to influence your life. You're giving that person permission to shape your way of thinking. You're inviting that person into your heart. You're you're inviting that person to inform your way of living, which leads us to the big idea from this passage right here. You will become the image of your admirations. You, so you become what you admire. One theologian put it this way, G.K. Beale. We resemble what we revere for ruin or restoration. And Pastor Eugene Park Put it this way, don't lease your faith. Don't lease your faith. Do you you really own your faith in Christ or are you leasing it from elsewhere? Because a lease, no matter how beneficial or efficient, always ends. When we lease our faith, it's easier to pay less attention to our spiritual health. Don't, Don't lease your faith to a celebrity. Don't lease your faith to an angel. 
Don't lease your faith to a tribal preference. Own your faith and partner with a church community that will help you nurture your faith in the one true, eternal, incarnate, exalted King. Faith is a call to follow and obey Jesus, and it must stay fixed on Him. Who are your landlords that you need to fire this week? And here's the irony of it all. You see how these verses apply to us? I mean, they just, they just, the significance is there. The angels, which some of those early Christians were admiring, were never intended to be Christ's substitutes. Rather, they are Christ's spirit servants. Look at verse 14. Are they not all, all, not some, not few, all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Who's that? That's you and me. And how do they do that? How do the angels do it? They help us persevere. They help us endure. They help us in mysterious ways that we often don't or can't see. But according to verse 14, they are God's helpers created to assist God's chosen people. And in Christ, we are God's chosen people. We are those who will inherit salvation. So why on earth would you idolize those whose very existence is intended to serve us? An angel didn't suffer for you. An angel didn't carry the cross for you. An angel wasn't crucified for you. And an angel wasn't raised for you. But I know someone who, who was and reigns. His name is Jesus. The exalted, incarnate, eternal Son of God, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why would he do that? Love. Love led the Son from the throne to the crib, to the cross, to the tomb, out of the tomb, exalted on the throne for us. Amen. So look to Jesus. Admire Jesus. Love Jesus. Learn his word. Memorize his word. Be tethered to his word. Think about it. Speak it. Share it. Pray it. Live it. Because you become what you admire. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much. Your word.